Oh no, you're not going anywhere. Growl Tiger, keep him here. Meow. Growl Tiger, I travel on the bulge. In fact, I am the roughest cat who ever roamed at large. From Toast. Toast, it's me. I know, I'm here to rescue you. Okay, let's get these chains off. The terror of the tapes. Alright, Growl Tiger, me and Toast are getting out of here. You do realize I'm the size of a human and you're the size of a cat. I'm a bravo cat. Okay. Barge cat. And your full song is racist. Ah, <sighs> hey Toast. Why didn't I come for you sooner? Oh, Toast, I fought tooth and claw. There's still a pandemic on, and it's a little hard to travel from the States right now. Plus, I wasn't entirely sure if the world of the Jellicles even existed in our universe. I still don't think I know how I got here. Well, I am sorry. I missed you too. You know, there was a song written about you over the summer. Really? I could not believe it either. Well, let's get off this barge first, and we'll play it at the end of the episode. You know, Ineffable, the Cats podcast. I can't do it without you, buddy. Alright, how do we get out of here? Welcome to Ineffable, a Cats Movie Podcast. This show is meant as a cozy exploration of the deranged motion picture that is 2019's Cats. Like pleasantly catnapping your way through the summer months, only to wake up and realize the racist and increasingly authoritarian United States is still in a motherfucking pandemic. I'm your host, Joel Arnold, and with me is my co-host, Toast. I know, you can't escape it, but let's be clear. The movie Cats, by comparison, is nowhere near as fucked up as the world is right now. So while literally everything else felt more important this summer than doing a Cats podcast, and still is, please vote, I like doing this show, making it is a bit of an escape for me, and I hope listening can be the same for you. So we're back at it. Since it's been a little bit, we need to catch up on some Cats news. In August, Andrew Lloyd Webber, the prolific composer of Cats, who is the primary subject of today's episode, called the movie ridiculous. Speaking to the Sunday Times, he said, The problem with the film was that Tom Hooper decided he didn't want anybody involved in it who was involved in the original show. Incidentally, Andrew Lloyd Webber composed a whole new song with Taylor Swift for the movie and enthusiastically promoted it. He is also the creator of a musical about trains, starring people on roller skates, as said trains, and a canon sequel to Phantom of the Opera set on Coney Island. By the way, small spoiler warning for the plot of that musical, Love Never Dies, later in the episode. On September 3rd, a perceptive Cats viewer spotted what, unfortunately, looks to be a butthole that survived from the infamous butthole cut. Twitter user V for Victory-ish, which is exactly what this feels like, because did we really want to see signs of this cut? 
spotted at one hour, 35 minutes, and 14 seconds, what looks to be a butthole, and screenshotted it. And there is a link to it in the show notes. Personally, it does look more like a butthole than an unintentional result of shadows and textures from rendering the way it was described by visual effects artists who spoke about it. It is upsetting. And finally, for those who remember, for those who will never forget, and for a whole new generation who will experience it for the very first time, Cats is coming to HBO and HBO Max on October 10th. Which means, if you've been waiting for it to come to a streaming service to watch it or rewatch it, now could be the perfect opportunity. Because what movie will you see this October that's scarier than Cats? This episode, I talked with writer-editor Anya Crittenton and Dana Bramble, who also works in entertainment here in Los Angeles, and they brought so much passion for Cats to the conversation, along with essential musical theater knowledge, especially on the subject of Andrew Lloyd Webber and his illustrious career and his somewhat notorious reputation. We recorded this after the pandemic took off, but before we were still living in it here in the States for six months, the way the rest of the world is not. So we mentioned rowdy screenings and how much fun it was to see cats in theaters. Now, that idea to me being in an enclosed space for two hours with people's breath and saliva droplets circulating around you, which is my rough understanding of the science, uh, is terrifying. I trust infectious disease experts who say it is not safe to go back. Until then, there are drive-ins, and one day, I hope it's safe to see cats at a rowdy midnight screening. Until then, it's still available to rent and own on Blu-ray and digital, and of course, streaming soon. All right, let's get to the interview with Dana and Anya. With me today is a writer in Los Angeles. She's written for Slash Film and The Mary Sue. It's Anya Crittenden. Hi, thanks for having me, Joel. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. And also, uh, we have two guests today. Our second guest, she works in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. It's Dana Bramble. Hello. Hi. <laughs> excited to be here to talk about cats. We are so excited to talk about cats because this movie deserves everything. Yeah, and I love that we have a mutual friend and all it took for us to get connected was just me mentioning, hey, I'm really passionate about cats. I think I'm going to do a podcast. And she was like, you have to talk to Anya. <laughs> Because uh, she was like, I only know two people who have gone to rowdy screenings of cats, whatever those are. And I was like, OK, well, clearly, if you're going to a rowdy screening, uh, we, we are the, the same kind of passionate fan. Yes, I was a doubter before I saw the movie. So to Dana's like yeah. dismay. Oh, were you what did you expect? I mean, I grew up. Cats is like was my mom's favorite musical for a long time. I think shout out to all the moms whose favorite musical is Cats because there are a lot of them. Um and so when I was younger and it would tour in Philadelphia, she would take me and my sister to go see it. And my sister has this like exceptionally angelic singing voice. And so for talent shows and different things in the area, my mom would always make her sing memory. <laughs> 
So my poor sister has been very traumatized by this musical. Uh, We had a music box growing up that played memory. It wasn't even a Cats themed music box. It was just a regular music box, but it played memory. And then we had the 1998 like VHS recording that they had done on stage. So we owned a copy of the musical as well in my house. That's amazing. So So she came in as a big fan. Yeah. So I came in knowing I was always going to see the movie as soon as it was announced Having my mom text me like, when you're home for Christmas, we have to see cats. Like being so excited to like see cats with me when I got home. So yeah, I went in being like, I'm absolutely seeing this movie. I don't care at all. Like how good or bad it is. Like I was always going to see it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good to hear from people who are like, I'm down with cats, whatever it is. When you saw it, how did you feel about it? I... Actually, I love the movie so much. I've seen it three times in theaters. We went to a rowdy screening. My hope for this movie is that it becomes the new Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, Mm -hmm. I am also a huge fan of Rocky Horror. I have a Rocky Horror tattoo, and I've gone to a bunch of night screenings of that. And, like, the energy that Cats emits in being a movie that, like, clearly people tried really hard to make it good and gave it a lot of money and, like, had great performances in it to produce something that like as a collective uh, film was terrible. (laughs) Like that earnestness of Cats fits the earnestness of Rocky Horror as a movie that like, yes, it's a B movie parody, but they went into the film genuinely believing in the project. And that's why making fun of it now feels so okay. And that's how I feel about Cats. It's going to like earn that cult status. I really, I'm on the same page. I really hope for that. Anya, how did you feel about it seeing it? So I went in, not a Cats fan. Um, I'm a big musicals fan. I am mm-hmm. a reluctantly big Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. But I wrote off Cats as being just the bananas musical that I had never seen, never listened to. And I was like, what is this? Like, why? I just knew everyone always made fun of it. So I kind of just joined that train and mm-hmm. would just also make fun of it. The revival came back to the Pantages last February, and she refused to see it with me. I regret that I went to see it at Pantages because I was like, Cats is coming back. I'm getting tickets for Cats no matter what. I regret that I didn't see it. she wouldn't Um, Because, (laughs) so we are best friends and have lived together for four years now, um, coming up on five. And I always knew she was a big Cats fan, and I would always make fun of her for it. But I was like, I'm going to see the movie with you, obviously, because I have to support you, and I want to see this train wreck, and we'll get drunk. And then I saw it and I had so much fun. I was like smiling the whole time, Uh partly because it was bad, partly because there were some genuinely fun moments. Um, And Android Weber, this jerk, but his music slaps. He knows how to make catchy songs and musicals and I hate it. And I got sucked into that soundtrack. Yeah, I feel like it's really hard not to. So my experience with Mr. Mr. Lord Baron. Uh, sir. 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 Well, he he's he, a lord. He's also knighted. He was a lord. He left the House of Lords in 2017. Oh. So he we was, know too much about him. He was knighted in 1992. So he technically is Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Was this a political statement or was he like forced to leave? What do you know about why, why did he leave? So he left the House of Lords just because... Um, it was coming up on Brexit and he basically said that like, I don't have the time to commit to this given the important things that we are discussing. So like, I don't feel like I can like in good conscience like be part of the house of Lords anymore because I cannot be fully present. So like, I respect that stance. 
he is, however, a conservative politician and like he voted against like Scottish independence mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So don't love that. But yeah, he left because he couldn't devote time enough. Okay. Yeah, th- that's like kind of on the way to being a good reason. It's like, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm also good. Like, I feel like he probably would have voted for Brexit. So, oh, definitely. <laughs> so I'm like, no, thank you. Goodbye. Okay. Yeah. With, with him, my experience is pretty limited. Like I have uh, like a friend who's very passionate about Jesus Christ Superstar, but a lot of his musicals have sort of been on the periphery of what I've like seen and really enjoyed. I will say, except for Phantom, Phantom, I saw at like a very young age, the actual musical. And then like one of my very first CDs was the soundtrack when I was 13. Like it was Phantom of the Opera and then Euro Pops Blue, da ba dee da ba die. And those were like the two big ones. What a combo. Eiffel 65, shout out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I can't believe I forgot the artist's name, but I remember the, the album name. <laughs> I mean, that tracks. And shout out to all the moms whose favorite musical is Fan of the Opera <laughs> instead of Cats. Yes. Oh yeah, that's for sure one that came from my mom. I think that's why we saw it. Yeah, it always does. <laughs> yeah, I have a, my mom is, um, started my Andrew Lloyd Webber education. It's somewhat of a funny story, but it's, so Phantom is one of her favorite musicals and it's a big musical in their family. And they all got tickets to see it when I was like in fifth grade. And they were gonna, it was gonna be a whole family thing. Like me, my mom, my aunt, my cousins, my grandma, my grandpa, whole big family thing. I had tickets um, or I had an invitation from a friend to go see Good Charlotte in concert the same day. And Five, like, fifth grade me was like, how could I possibly see this, like, stupid musical over Good Charlotte? I was so angry. And obviously, I didn't have a choice. And my mom was like, you're going to Phantom. This is a family outing. Like, tell your friend no. I was so upset. And I went. And the second that overture started, there were hearts in my eyes. (laughs) Like, my soul was transformed. Um, I am a Phantom aficionado you're in the fandom the fandom Mm. i like hate it because that musical has so many problems but i love it so much sorry i'm getting a facetime from my mom (laughs) you're like mom no she's like i heard you were talking about cats (laughs) can i chime in she felt the pull of the universe towards cats Yes. Oh, she definitely did. Some of my issue with Andrew Lloyd Webber stems from Fanna because he married the woman who played Christine in the original Broadway cast, Sarah Brightman. And after they got divorced, she called their marriage a difficult time. Um, as recent as 2013, when I studied abroad in London, I saw a production of, I think it was Joseph. Um, and he was there and he referred to Sarah Brightman still as his angel of music. And I'm just like, sir, you have been divorced for decades. Yeah, I think it maybe was of the, his three marriages, maybe his shortest one. Yeah. He married from 84 to like 91. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's been married to his current wife since 1991. Yeah. So like, <laughs> we like to joke that he thinks he's the phantom. That makes sense, given he was so capable at making the Phantom a very sympathetic character, which I think is is maybe built into the story, but I feel like to do that with music, too, was really effective. Yeah, he definitely, if you, like, read the original Gaston Leroux novel versus, like, musical, Android never made the Phantom much more romanticized, and he also, Android Weber leaves very heavily into the sensual side of the Phantom of the Opera. Like he makes, he wants to make him a physically like Mm. appealing character, like despite the face and that idea, but he wants to make him like, he wants women to like feel the lure of the Phantom. 
And I mean, Love Never Dies, the Phantom of the Opera sequel. Is, I don't know a whole lot about it. It is oh, utter garbage. Um, it ruins it ruins the original musical. Mm-hmm. Like, it ruins all the characters and their arcs and their growth. And it is terrible. However, it has some good music. <laughs> Again, Android Weber, it's not fair. His music is so good. And it has, um, if you watch the Australian cast that was the recorded version of Love Never Dies, it has, like, my favorite actor who plays the Phantom, so I'm annoyingly partial to it because it's my favorite Phantom. So he was the Phantom in Phantom and Love Never Dies? Yeah, he's played the Phantom in both, and he's my favorite, and I'm like, no, because Love Never Dies is trash. Is it true that it takes place in, like, for some reason, I don't know where I got this from, but in my head I have, like... A Coney Island carnival. It takes it takes place, takes Coney place Island. in Coney Island. It does what? At a freak show on Coney Island. Because yes. the Phantom flees Paris after the Phantom of the Opera events with Meg Giri and Madame Giri, and he goes to New York and he reinvents himself as this man named Mister Y, and he starts this whole like show on Coney Island, and he basically tricks Christine into coming to New York tricks her into thinking she's going to be singing for Oscar Hammerstein. And instead, she ends up singing for him. Surprise! And then you find out that the night before her wedding to Raoul, she ran away, slept with the Phantom, and she was gonna gonna leave with him, but he left her first, so she ended up marrying Raoul. And her and Raoul's kid is actually her and the Phantom's kid. Of course. Justice for Gustav. Yes. So, uh, it is bananas. It's a mess. Yeah. Then there's a weird, you should just put a big spoiler for Love Never Dies on the Okay, sure. This. For the people who um, don't want For the people yeah. who care about Love Never Dies. <laughs> um, then there's this weird thing where the Phantom has been grooming Meg Giri this whole time in Coney Island to make her think she's going to be a star. And then when Christine comes back, she gets jealous that she stole her thunder. And so Meg gets a gun and takes... <laughs> Christine's son Gustav to the end of the pier to drown him and the phantom stops her from drowning Gustav and then she tries to shoot the phantom and she ends up or the phantom wrestles the gun away from her and ends up shooting Christine and Christine dies in the phantom's arm after she had chosen him Uh at this point in the musical like she was going to leave Raoul for the phantom so It's hard not to read it as, like, really bad fan fiction of, like, wanting her to end up with the Phantom, even though the whole point of the original Phantom is that he lets her go, and that's, like, his growth as a character. Um, I realize this is a podcast about cats, but I cannot talk about it whatever without talking about my love for Phantom, because I am deep in it. We both are. I feel like it, like, informs, like, the storytelling that Andrew Lloyd Webber will lean towards. It does, because there's that kind of, like romantic nature to his music. And I think in all of his musicals, I also really love Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I think it's a really fun, wonderful musical. And I think that's the thing is he really does, he is good at kind of the whimsy and the sort of pop cultural. He's very good at the broad musicals that can find broad audiences. I mean, he adapted School of Rock into a musical and I saw it here at the Pantages and it was so Ah, much fun. Like by the end, I was standing up, the kids were playing all their own instruments and singing. They were so talented and like, it's just a broad, fun family musical that was on Broadway for a decent amount of time because it's like, as long as you have the kids and you have like a guy to play Dewey, like that's the show and the music's not super hard. Like the vocals aren't hard. It's just about having fun and being the character. And I was like, 
damn, this is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> like, I'm watching School of Rock by Andrew Lloyd Webber, but it worked. And it sounds like whatever he's done has really, for a long time, connected with people such that, like, Cats ran for, what, 18 years, and then Phantom, like, surpassed it to be the longest Broadway show. And yeah. Cats is still the second longest running show so. on the mm. West End. On the West End, yeah. It was open, I think, for 21 years. Yeah, and so, yeah. like, I guess I, I shouldn't have doubted that I was gonna fall in love with Cats, but I was so adamant and being like, this musical makes no <laughs> sense, and why is it here, and why does it exist? And to be fair, it doesn't make sense. But that's part of the fun of it, if you can just kind of, mm-hmm. like, suspend your disbelief for a couple hours. It's actually a fun time, and the music, like, how often have I listened to, like, Mr. Mistopheles? Or Skimble Shanks, the railway cat. So, so many times now. Yeah. Do you both have like a favorite song? Mr. Rostopheles was always my favorite song just because it's so catchy. And also in the musical, it plays very differently than it plays in the movie. I think that's one of the biggest like changes in the adaptation is that like in the musical, Mr. Mistopheles is established as a magical cat who's very like adept at his magic. And so like when they call him out, Basically, old Deuteronomy disappears and Rum Tum Tugger's like, oh, it's fine. Like, we just need to, like, get Mr. Mistopheles to bring her back. And it's already known that he, like, has the skill and ability to to magic her back. Um, and so the song is a lot more triumphant. It's a huge dance number. The cat who plays Mistopheles, the actor who plays Mistopheles, always has, like, a light-up tuxedo jacket And they are doing a ton of, like, aerobic, like, toe touches and leaps and jumps in the choreography. I will say, though, that um, he's very different, but we both really love Mistopheles in the movie. He's played by an actor we're Mm -hmm. very fond of, Laurie Davidson, who was in the TNT series Will, which we are big fans of. It ended too soon. But I actually really liked his very shy like insecure persona in the movie. I thought it was adorable. And I like that he was in the movie like throughout the movie because in the musical, he only pretty much shows up for his song, right? And then... Yeah, yeah he's like in the background of stuff, but he's not really... Yeah, there. and in this one, he's kind of like a main character. And not gonna lie, I definitely got some like bi, queer, OT3 vibes between like Mistopheles, Victoria, and Strap. So yes. I'm here for that. Yeah. Yeah, there's... I mean, I feel like it's a very horny movie and like there's so much gazing... It's clear, I feel like, where Mistopheles is gazing, but it's almost all of Victoria, but I don't know how much Monkus Trap also is interested in getting in on this. Yeah. And I feel like He's Victoria is, like, like crushing on everyone at first. Like, how did you feel about, like, the horniness, the, the relationships in this movie? <gasps> I think it's okay to describe it as horniness over relationships because that's mostly what it is. Well, and to be fair, like, that is the way the show is. Like, the show is very Mm. sexualized. Like, everyone is running around in these spandex bodysuits. You can see pretty much everything. They're all professionally trained dancers who are super flexible and, like, in the background are constantly doing, like, cat things when they're not the people who are singing or like talking at the time so it's like they're all kind of like nuzzling against each other in the back and like stretching and pretending to lick each other and like like the show itself is like very horny like very like overtly sexual so like i was happy that carried over into the film because that's that is the way cats are supposed to be (laughs) do you feel like it is toned down we don't have bulges we don't have i don't know if we see everyone grooming each other in the background i mean a little bit 
Because, I mean, let's be fair. Genitals play a big part in <laughs> Broadway when there is spandex involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do. They do. So, it's like... It's true. Yeah. And there's just a lot of, like... Yeah, I don't know. All the cats just have this really raw kind of sexual energy on stage. And I'm sure that's... The performances of the cast in the musical are just adrenaline fueled. I mean, it's like Mm. a two and a half hour marathon. It's the stage is slanted. They're constantly dancing and moving. Like they're breaking their bodies to do this like very intense choreography. Like, and even when they're not being featured, they know people are still looking at them and they have to continue to perform. It's like, I can't even imagine being in this show. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I think the show is like, because it's live theater, you just get something more from being in a theater with live performers. That like raw energy. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. I think the musical is always going to be a little more sexy than the movie. But the movie definitely like tried. Yeah. (laughs) The movie is like horny, but I mean, the musical doesn't have like any like ships, quote unquote. And like clearly Tom Hooper, like, pitted Victoria and Mistopheles as being like a sort of couple in the movie. And I, so I think he did sort of tone it down wanted to create kind of like almost arcs of a romantic relationship or like protagonist in a way. So it was more family friendly or something. I don't know. Except by the end, Mistopheles and Monkestrap are making so many faces at each other. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, all right, so you're just going to invite Monkestrap like into your relationship with Victoria now. That's cool. I'm I'm here for it. I remember after we saw it for the first time, I said, I never thought I would go into Cats and have like a ship, but (laughs) that is what happened. I now have like these (laughs) cats that I ship and I was just like, what is wrong with me? What did this movie do to me? It's like humanoid cats. It's yeah, it's so (laughs) weird and bizarre when I think about it. But like, I can't get over like the eye contact between Lori Davidson and Robbie Fairchild. It's a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Like who I, I am a victim of Tom Hooper's machinations. However, despite all those thoughts, I actually don't think Mistopheles or Monkestrap are the sexiest cats or the horniest cats in the movie. That is Skimbleshanks. Whoa, I was expecting you to go McCavity or Rum Tum Tugger because it's it's a crowded field. But I mean, I will I mean, always love Skimbleshanks. Yeah, Eater Selba and Jason Drulo can get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they're fine. Right. I mean, Rum Tum Tugger is the yes. hot cat. Like that's has always been his role. Like that's his song. All the women are always like all over him. He has like his outfit in the musical is like this leather spandex outfit that has like this huge like fur surrounding his open chest like it's very like and he has like a chain belt that's supposed to be like i don't know it's a little leather daddy-ish so like that's <laughs> rum tum tucker's design and i get it and i get yeah. it but skimble shanks has the catchiest song Mm-hmm. And he looks great in those slacks with those suspenders. Shirtless. Shirtless. And I also love tapping. It's my favorite style of dance. Mm. And so, like, the fact that he's a tapper and that's a big part of it. I am just so here for Skimble Shanks and those long, long legs of his and how he uses them. I'm so glad to hear that. And I can bring some musical experience from this. I watched, I mean, my YouTube algorithm is ruined. Uh, It's just like full of a lot of still video of like the logo with songs from the movie, but also the London filmed version. And I was shocked when I watched Skimbleshanks and out comes this guy, not who was, as he says, busy in a luggage van, 
but like seemingly asleep doddering. And I was like, that's not my skimble shanks. Who's just like, oh yeah, yeah. They totally need me. I totally do stuff. Like I don't, I don't believe him. I believe this hot skimble shanks who will not let anything go wrong. Right. And we know like what he was busy with in the luggage van. <laughs> Obviously. Duh. Like yeah, more Skimble or less. Shanks is good at his job. <laughs> Skimble Shanks is great at his job, but like, you know, he also has needs and you know, he's sexy. So <laughs> I'm so here for Skimble Shanks. I have to say also, like, props to Tom Hooper for letting the older actors in this movie also get their horny moments. Like Old Deuteronomy wants Gus the theater cat. Oh, yeah. They've definitely fucked. They have a history. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very obvious. Like, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. He clearly like can still bring the passion for his craft still as a gifted performer. But I can only imagine the way he talks about what he was like back in the day, what their relationship was like. When she lifts her leg for him, I was like, oh. all right. All right, Deuteronomy. I see you. I also like I'm very curious. What do you think about... So she's maybe lived 99 lives, some say. How, how old is she? Like, what was, what is her past like? Dana. Oh, I don't even know, honestly. Have you ever considered old Deuteronomy? I haven't, because I almost feel like, I know she's alive technically, but she feels so like ethereal. <laughs> like she doesn't, she almost feels like this like angel of the, she's <laughs> like, like she's the Aslan of yeah, cats. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, Yeah. She right. is she is Jesus. The Jesus allegory. And these are yeah. her disciples. That fits with how she shows up and the quality of the song is sort of ethereal, but also the way they speak about her. It's like a mythical figure you don't see very often. Like she's not regularly organizing jellical meetings, taking in new members, giving them the tour like to Victoria. Like she's just sort of like, I swan in, I do my mystical duty and then you don't see me again for a year. Yeah, Pretty and I much. mean, you know, like, Jesus would hang out with the poor and the downtrodden. And at the end of this, like, it's Grizabella who gets, it becomes a jellical choice. And so, like, old Deuteronomy Jesus is showing compassion. Mm-hmm. I love where this is <laughs> Compassion for cats who are downtrodden. I also, like, I get a little bit of a sense of, like, a spiritual being who's also losing touch with humanity like go with me here sort of like watchmen like this planet its beings no longer interest me old deuteronomy has to be reminded by seeing victoria's act of kindness that maybe she wouldn't have gone out and sought grizabella like she's just sort of coming in the the cats come to her but maybe she wouldn't have been cognizant of like what if the cats group that you are serving has ostracized a deserving cat. If not for Victoria reminding her of of compassion, what would have happened? Yeah. Right. I also appreciate that. So Judy Dench was supposed to be the original Grizabella in the West End, um, but she like pulled her like Achilles tendon or something, got this really horrible injury and never was able to do it. So I love that she was able to be in this version of Cats and also as Old Deuteronomy because Old Deuteronomy in the musical is traditionally a man. Um, the role on Broadway was initiated or originated by Ken Page, who is also Oogie Boogie uh, in Nightmare Before Christmas. Ooh. So he has that really rich kind of deep, like, You're joking. you know, yeah. very commanding voice and like presence about him. But it's nice that they kind of flipped it because I don't know, there's something about like, 
the idea of like cats and felines that's very like feminine, like is always associated with women in a way that like, I don't know, dogs are always seemingly like rough and tumble. So they're like, you know, boy and their dog. But like cats tend to skew always in media and just like in general, like the cat woman and cat ladies and this whole thing is like very feminine. So it's kind of nice that old Deuteronomy like is a woman in this version because that feels very right. She's only a woman to me. It's interesting, like hearing old Deuteronomy, like in the Broadway albums now and hearing a man, because to me, old Deuteronomy is a woman. Because that was my first experience, and now that's just who it is. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's interesting when you think about, like, the movie and the story. I think especially the movie, because since Tom Hooper tried to do a story that the musical doesn't really have with, like, Victoria, Mm -hmm. that, like, there is... Hall was the screenwriter. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, And, like, there's themes in this movie of, like, Victoria reaching out to Grisabella and the ideas of, like ostracization as you were saying joel and you can tell that they earnestly believed in these themes and like wanted to explore them and you just can't when you make this movie when you use like Mm -hmm. digital fur technology yeah it gets lost i don't know if it was tom hooper somebody at the premiere said something about how cats was supposed to speak to like tribalism and how it's like tearing us apart or whatever i think that was tom hooper and i was like no (laughs) i can imagine him being like i'm three viewings in and i've I'm curious if this has happened to you. Um, I've become emotionally invested now where like those themes kind of do work on me. So I can see him being so far down in making this movie for two years that like he would earnestly believe that. Potentially. I wouldn't be surprised. I think he does. It's a shame that the worst thing about this film is the direction, (laughs) to be honest. Which is like the same for the late mid film. So. Yeah, that one to me was this is very to me, like, exceedingly watchable once... I mean, I, I never want to get quite used to the visual effects, but, like, once you get used to it, but, like, mm-hmm. Les Mis, I could never wrap my brain around being so, so close. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, though, yeah, how do you feel about the the showcasing of, like, musical numbers and the dancing? Oh, I thought he did a terrible job. <laughs> um, it just is... You watch the movie and you're like, why isn't the camera... The camera never feels like it's in the right place at the right time. He's consistently doing these weird kind of spins and circles around the crowd of cats as they're dancing, which makes no sense because I would just like to watch them dance. Like, Andy Blankenbuehler, like, updated this choreography and it's very good and I would like to see it performed by, like, professional dancers. And the woman who plays Victoria, what's her name again? Francesca Hayward. Francesca Hayward, like, you know, she's a classically trained ballerina. so is Robbie Fairchild. Yeah. So it's like, I would like to see the dancing and it's just never focused. The camera is literally never in the right place at the right time. I like the glimpses that we get, but I would like to have seen like more of their physicality. And I mean, it's it's amusing to see them like fly through the air on wires or whatever it is they choose to do sometimes. But I would rather just see them like just like use their amazing bodies. Right. And these are dancers like they probably rehearsed very hard for this movie and these numbers. And Andy Blankenbuehler is a phenomenal choreographer. And so it's just a shame that like this genuine talent was not showcased in the way it should have been yeah i will still find things to be disappointed about but it's i i still i am appreciative of this perfect gift that we have 
Yeah. Same. I mean, yes. Same. But it's just, this is, of all of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals, this is a dance musical. And, like, the reason you go see Cats is to see the dancers. Like, the music is great, too, but the main reason you're watching it is to be immersed in the cat world and, like, the movements and the choreography is the most important element of it. And so... It just felt kind of lost in the adaptation and it didn't need to be. Yeah. How do you feel about the ones? I feel like in the beginning, there is a lot less dancing and more just like sort of antics and strolling around in Gumby Cat and Buster for Jones. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get the chorus line, the horrifying cockroach chorus line. (laughs) Yeah. So horrifying. Which is in the musical. It's canon. Really? Oh Uh my God. Wow. Okay. Oh, well, it's in the lyrics, so it would have to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are tap dancing cockroaches. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Are there creepy mice in the musical? I don't think so. The baby face mice are terrifying in the movie. Like, there, I think there are mice in the musical, but they're like kind of how the rats are in the Nutcracker, where their like faces <laughs> are covered and they just kind of run around. Because I will say, like, everyone talks about, like, all the weird CGI in this movie and everything, but I think nothing... Is as terrifying as the mice. Yeah. I would rather take the like, like the shoddy effects where you can see Judy Dench's hand. I would take that over those baby faced mice any day. Yeah. Like they, I'm, I'm now really okay with the blending of like cat and human, but with the mice, it feels like they're entirely a CG creation except for the face. Like there's, there's no like blending otherwise. It's terrifying and I hate it. Um, but I, I agree with you that this movie is a gift. It's so funny because, you know, we want to just like talk about how it's terrible, but I would be lying if I said every time I saw this in theaters, I wasn't having a great time, like a genuinely great time. Yes. Literally the first night we saw it, we did a double feature back to back of Cats and Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And we saw Cats at 9.45 PM and we saw Star Wars at like... 12 30 a.m like rise of skywalker and at one point during star wars she leaned over to me and was like can we go watch cats again and i was like yes i have a lot of feelings about rise of skywalker that we won't get into about yeah, why it's a terrible movie um, yeah no but- we're, we're on the same page and like this has come up before i think like these will at least for me and for i feel like a lot of people who have connected with cats and maybe saw them around the same time like these will be inextricably linked as like one was a thrilling experience and gave you so many things that you didn't know you could want and you felt like all of these emotions and maybe are still thinking about because it was just so strange and then the other is sort of just like yeah that sure it could be that and then maybe you've not thought about it since right one is a thrilling experience that is wonderful and you will cherish forever and the other is star wars (laughs) yes yep pretty much what I hope does not happen is, I mean, like, okay, a lot of far worse consequences in the world could happen from coronavirus, but, like, I, I don't hope this kills the, the chances of cats to become a cult hit. I would like people in your homes, it, it's on digital now, like, you can go rent it and have a great time with friends over, like, Google Hangouts. Now is the time for cats, because yeah. it brings you joy. We need it. Like, right now is when we need cats most. Yeah, and like everyone's in their homes. Maybe they have cats, like connect on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, took the extra step and bounded for our rowdy screening. So I uh, bounded as Mr. Mistopheles and like Ah. painted my face to look like a cat. And uh, Anya bounded as uh, Skimbleshanks. And I had suspenders and everything. And it was fantastic. And the best time at home. 
Truly. Yes. I thought I went hard by like having my birthday party in late January called the Jolical Ball and like buying a bunch of like cat masks and cat ears and having people come as like their own made up cats and they have to talk about who they are and then they become the Jolical Choice. That's incredible. Wait, but, that's like, amazing. Yeah. You should keep that going every year, please. I would love to. And like, there's some people who were not in town there and they were like, please do it the next week. I was like, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> You can only do it once a year. You can only wield your power to make the Jolical choice once a year. It's true. The Jolical choice. What I really wanted to do and didn't get to do this year was I was going to like roll out my spare tire, bring it in, be like, all right, get on. (laughs) But I couldn't get (laughs) out of my trunk. That would have been amazing. So, yeah, I think you actually went harder than us. So, well, I was going to say, like, bounding is is great, though. I just, like, brought cat ears to it, but, like, dressing like a character, like, evoking a character was really great. I, yeah, I love now. I want, I'm just going to think of my own, like, cat persona and, like, Mm -hmm. why my cat would be the Jellical Choice. Yeah. And, like, would it just be because I'm great or would I create, like, a tragic backstory? Ooh. Because you have to wonder, like, Grizabella wasn't really considered. So, like, I wonder who passed. Jellical choices have been mm-hmm. and like wild Deuteronomy chose them mm-hmm. you know you have to like kind of sing for your chance and why you should have it but like do you have to pick the most downtrodden or can you just pick you know like yeah she can probably pick whoever yeah but and it's interesting because the only I don't think the only like viable cats to be the Jellical choice would be like Grizabella and like Gus the theater cat Gus, yeah. because they seem so sad in their lives the way they are now. Like I never understand why like Buster Jones or Rum Tum Tugger. Tugger or Skimble Shanks are like singing to be the Jellical Choice because their lives seem really great. And so I'm like, why do you want to be reborn? Like, what is it about this life that's like unsatisfactory right. to you like, at this point? Victoria Absolutely. asks um, Jenny Annie Dot, and she says she just wants out of this kitchen. So like, that's her reason. But we never, she never asks Rum Tum Tugger, Buster for Jones. They just sing about themselves, but they never sing about why they want to be the Jellical Choice. And it's like, right, why do you? Yeah. You know, McCavity clearly wants to because he has committed all these crimes right. and is tired of being on the run from humans. Potentially, because Scotland Yard is after him. It's very confusing. Yeah, that McCavity plotline doesn't exist in the musical. He's a character, and he's, like, the sneaky cat that everyone's afraid of. Like, the way it works on stage is you hear, like, a banging, and then, like, flashes of lights, and everyone's like, McCavity. And so you know he's like this he's like this mystery cat the whole time and then he does make old Deuteronomy disappear so that happens but the idea of him like sending the other cats onto the barge and him vying to be the jellical choice is not a thing that happens in the musical that was like manufactured for the film I guess for there to be an antagonist How do you feel about that plot addition I mean I don't mind it Anything besides the main plot is superfluous because the plot itself is superfluous because there isn't a plot. Like, literally, and in the musical, they don't even really tell you. Monka Strap gives that great context to Victoria of, like, everyone's going to sing to be considered to be the Jellical Choice. You don't know that in the show. Like, they just all come out and start singing. And then you're like, oh, this is what's happening. 
And yeah, the, it's literally just cats introducing themselves for two and a half hours. That is the musical. And like, that is what the musical has always been. And it's worked for 20, however, you know, long it was on Broadway and at the West End, people didn't seem to have a problem with it. So I understand you're adapting something for a film. So maybe you want a clear antagonist or maybe you want some wrenches like thrown into the proceedings, but I didn't think it really like needed it. I thought some of the jokes on the barge were funny, though. Yeah. I really liked Skimble Shanks, like, tapping at the bad guys as if that is going to, like, defeat them. <laughs> he would, like, tap at them. And I was like, yes, Skimble Shanks, use your talents. He's doing what he can. I mean, I feel like he, like, has his domain that might work on the train where people are going to be responding to a cat with tap shoes who knows their tea order. Maybe he's just so used to that world that he's not thinking that this mystery cat has more power than he does. Right, but is, is Skimbleshanks the cat on like a train for humans or is there a train just for cats? How does the economy work? How much are train tickets for cats if it is a cat train? How did he get this job if it's a human train? I have questions. Yeah, I feel like so many of these are unanswerable. Like I They are. It's been talked about before, but like I don't know. I can't say for certain whether or not we actually go to a train. It looks like we do. It looks like we're on tracks. I think that's sort of the only abstraction in a musical number that we don't actually go there, but maybe we do. I don't know. It's And again, I get it. You're not supposed to be able to answer these questions. That's not what this musical is about. But now I am so invested in this cat's world that I just want to know everything. Yeah. It like lays out in the lyrics and then how the movie makes these little adaptational choice, like implies and creates this whole world. So there's like lore to be explored. It's just sitting there. And I want, I want to know. Uh, yeah. What I think is really interesting is the, the musical takes place on one set. They're in like a trashy alley, basically like a dumpster, you know, there's like a old washing machine and like a huge bra because they're all supposed to be cat sized and whatever. And in the lyrics, it, they refer to humans like Mistopheles talks about the family in the house and Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser talk about the family in the house when they mess things up. And in the musical, I think you're supposed to assume, right, like Gus the theater cat is just the cat who hung out outside the theater all the time. Like and that he it's he's like a bodega cat, basically, like that mm-hmm. was his, you know, so they all are in this human world. But Tom Hooper has talked about that in the movie when you see the the cat-shaped cloud in the beginning of the film, like the opening shot, God, and then right, you yeah. descend downward, you are now sort of entering this parallel universe of, like, that is run by the cats. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's a different... Like, the, the yeah. movie sees the cats as having their own, like, society and world, whereas, like, in the musical it's very clear that they are living amongst humans. And they live amongst humans in the movie because, I mean, a human abandoned Victoria. Right. But they also have their own world that humans don't frequent. It seems like. Yeah. yeah. It's, again, none of it makes sense. But then again, you're, I guess you're not really supposed to ask. You're just, you're just supposed to go along for the ride. And bring up humans always will make me think of how did that balloon get there? Who attached it to the chandelier? Who's is it? A, is it a balloon every year? 
And is old Deuteronomy coordinating the logistics? Where exactly does Grizabella go? I mean, like the heavy side layer, but like... Like, is there a poor rural farmer who just finds like a deflated hot air balloon and looks like a dead cat on his lawn? <laughs> I mean... Potentially. They're I valid questions. In the musical, it's a tire. And that she stands on and just ascends into the heavens. It works a lot better in a musical setting because there is a limit to how high she can go and then the audience can't see her anymore. (laughs) Yes, that is very accurate. Yeah. In terms of adaptational choices and changes, Mm -hmm. how do you both feel about the Taylor Swift song, Beautiful Ghosts? I actually love it in the context of the movie. I do too. And I think Francesca Hayward sings it beautifully. I don't really care for the Taylor Swift version, But I think within the context of those two characters and how Francesca Hayward performs it, I actually really like it. Yeah, I do too. I think I would hate it if Taylor Swift were singing it because when she sings it without like that intention and emotion, I really pay attention to the lyrics and I'm like, this seems like kind of mean, like she doesn't have a lot and you're just like, well, you got memories and you're like, you have, you have your life ahead of you. Right. It is a weird song because, right, it's like you have your beautiful memories, Grizabella, but like now you're in this terrible situation. And it's like memories don't keep you warm or fed at night. Right. So like Victoria, honey. (laughs) But she comes across like so earnest and so compassionate that you believe her. Yeah. And the nice thing about this musical is kind of all the music is feels a little disjointed. Like there's so many different styles of music within Cats itself. Like mm-hmm. Memory was never actually written for this musical. Like the the melody of Memory Andrew Lloyd Webber had written because he was going to do a musical about Puccini. Oh. And his dad, I read, is like a Puccini scholar. And so at one point when he was going to take this like discarded music he had used and put it in Cats, he like asked his dad if it sounded too much like Puccini, like if he was like copying him. And his dad was like, no, this is actually really good. And like, you could basically get away with this. So like, memory wasn't even supposed to be in this show. Like it wasn't even written musically, like to blend into this like book. So Beautiful Ghost feels like it fits fine because it doesn't, because there's no like thematic, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, there's yeah. No, I mean, overall thematic, like, yeah. It's really interesting because Nilly Dropper will go one way or the other, like having no theme or like really committing to the theme because Phantom very much commits to the theme of like an mm-hmm. 80s, like, pop rock opera. I mean, the man wrote three original, like, opera songs for Phantom of the Opera. Like, all the opera numbers they perform, like, on stage within the show are not real. And no one ever wrote those. Oh, wow. I've always assumed that they were real. I was like, this is great. We get this style of music, and then we actually, like, see what would have been performed. But no, he wrote them. Fantastic. Right. Like, Hannibal is fake. Il Mudo. Il Mudo is fake. And then, obviously, Don Juan Triumphant, we know it's fake because the Phantom writes it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, no, all three of those shows are not real. You know, so he really commits. But then you watch something like Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, which starts out having pretty just, like, traditional, like, broad pop sort of musical numbers. But then there's, like, a weird country song. And then the, like, pharaoh in Egypt is, like, an Elvis impersonator. And you get, like, Elvis songs in that. And so it's, like, it suddenly gets all over the place. And you're, like, what is happening in this musical? So I was reading about that today, actually. So he, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice wrote Just in the Tiger Color Dreamcoat when Andrew Lloyd Webber was, like, 19. 
Wow. Um, and Tim Rice was probably like 22. And basically, it was never supposed to be a musical. They wrote it in like 1967, and it didn't become an actual musical until 1972. And the reason they wrote it was because some like music teacher at a school where they were living asked them to write like something for his choir and they want he wanted it to be like educational and different types of music so they were able to do like a calypso song an elvis song a this song and that's why like it doesn't really interesting yeah because they wrote it as like an assignment like a favor and then turned into a musical like years later i'm just continually impressed the more i learn about andrew lloyd weber's ability to take like oh this project and into a successful musical like oh i really wanted to see if i could take existing lyrics from t.s Eliot's collection of poems and set them to music and then like cats is born right i do definitely find it interesting that all these musicals have a source right Mm -hmm. i think all the famous ones do i don't know if like i'm not familiar with as his entire (laughs) body of work (laughs) i mean i don't think that might be one of the few it might be some sort of something it's just interesting that trains the concept of trains (laughs) (laughs) and everyone's on uh, roller skates i also read today that there's a theater specifically like in germany that's been like was built to play starlet express and it's been going since 1988 oh my god like only starlet yes (laughs) what why i know Uh. i feel like a natural extension like if i get too deep down the cat's proverbial alleyway i'll see all of andrew lloyd webber's shows like see the movie go to germany like this could happen i'm just like warning myself now fair starlight i hear is also pretty bonkers so it might be on my list yes i've heard i've never seen that one but i've heard the same thing i mean again he thinks he's the phantom and in some ways he is because he ensnares you in his music Mm -hmm. and then you suddenly get sucked in and you see all his shows and you start singing them all the time yes and making references to them and you're like man i don't want to like you you are a strange man and a conservative but this music is so catchy right i was reading too that he and tim rice broke up probably sometime in the Uh 70s as like a team like a music and lyrics team and so he went into writing cats without a lyricist which is why he sourced the uh, poems for cats as like something to write because he could write the music but like didn't have a lyricist at the time and like as much as people i've made this argument for years because people love to shit on cats but like It really did save Broadway, essentially. It put so much more money back into the West End and to Broadway in the early 80s, which was, like, dying at the time. Without Cats and, like, the costumes and the makeup and the production design and the choreography, like, I feel like we wouldn't have shows like Lion King, which take that concept of, like, humans being very, like, animalistic and these, you know, beautiful costumes where they do, like, emulate animals. Like, I feel like we wouldn't have gotten to that point if Cats had not existed in the first place. So Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Like, I think Cats... And to immediately follow that with Phantom of the Opera, like, his success with those two musicals, like, really revived Broadway in a way that it hadn't been in probably decades. Because I think when... When did Cats premiere on Broadway? Like 82. Okay, so I think like in the 70s, like Broadway was not doing super well. And Andrew Lloyd really brought it back in this big mainstream way and like just funneled money into it. And I think that was kind of the start of the second coming of the popular musical following like Mm -hmm. the old days of like Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. Wow, we really owe so much to Cats. 
Yes. And like Andrew Lloyd Webber, like there was a time a couple of years ago when they did the cast revival where he had like four shows running on Broadway at the same time. Wow. Because Phantom is eternally open. It's been open for 30 years. <laughs> School of Rock was open at the time. I think the Cats revival was open. And I think the Sunset Boulevard revival was open. And it's like all four of those are his shows. And he was making money on all of them like simultaneously, which is insane when you think about Bananas. it. Bananas. Okay, so he is somewhat problematic. Mm-hmm. We need to appreciate how much he has done for Broadway and to now give us this movie. Uh, is there anything else that someone who has watched Cats should know about the figure of Andrew Lloyd Webber that we have not talked about? Patty Lupone hates him. Oh, well, that's a big deal and then. It should always, it should, they say that their two decade long feud is over because she performed at the Grammys in tribute to him and at rehearsals she arrived and she said like this is the detente and like she and Andrew Webber hugged but is it really over because after that she gave an interview where she called him a jerk and a sad sack (laughs) so this all started because Patti LuPone was in Sunset Boulevard on the West End and when it came to Broadway Andrew Webber fired her and hired Glenn Close and then Glenn Close won a Tony for the performance in Sunset oh. Boulevard. And Patti LuPone has kind of hated him ever since. She uh, she sued him, I think, and got a million dollars. And with that money, she made a pool at her house and she calls it the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's some true petty shit. Yeah, it's it's she's great. She is an icon. And, you know, I will always be team Patty um, as much as I love Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. So, you know, just just know that he is a figure. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's an old, conservative, like, British white man. He is. Also a musical genius. Both can be true. He contains multitudes. Mm-hmm. He does. He really does. I was going to say, when they did the revival of Cats, there was a kerf- kerfuffle because they hired Andy Blankenbuehler to come in and revise the choreography after he had done Hamilton and Jillian Lynn, who's the original choreographer is still alive. And her choreography is like for that show is like iconic. And she was pretty pissed that they didn't have her like come back to do it. Cause she's like the name everyone associates with the cat's choreography. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not uh, being a Mr. Mistopheles and showing friendship and loyalty there. <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I do have an important question for you. If you were one of the cats in the movie Cats, which one would you be? Oh, I thought you were going to ask for our name. And I was like, I cannot think of that on the spot. I would have to like take months to dissect that. If I were a cat in the movie or the musical, mm-hmm. honestly, this sounds like a stereotype, but like I'd want to be Skimbleshanks because I love trains and I love tapping. Fair. <laughs> I think the cat I'm most like in my regular life is Jenny Annie Dots mm-hmm. um, because she just wants to like lay around all day, which is all I ever want to do ever. And then like I could absolutely direct a theater of cockroaches like no problem. I used to do great choreography when I was growing up. So that's who I would be. What about you, Joel? Who would you be? Oh, I am Mr. Mistopheles. 
I was first resistant to it when like friends where you're like saying who each of us would be and I couldn't really decide and they're like oh no you're clearly Mr. Mistopheles and I was like oh but he's insecure and he has to be reassured and I was like oh no that's me sometimes too like <laughs> I have anxiety and then like I can come through for my friends like with a little help sometimes and encouragement and like he really looks out for Victoria that's a really good quality he's adorable I he love is. him <laughs> I think the one thing that frustrated me a little bit in the movie is that Victoria comes into the Jellicle ball, the Jellicle community with like a name that was already given to her. Yeah. So like in the musical, Victoria would be her Jellicle name, but because the musical changed it to where she was like pre-owned before she gets there, you assume Victoria is the name that the humans gave her that she goes by. And then once she's like accepted into the Jellicles, she like doesn't get a Jellicle name. Right, she just keeps Victoria. Done that. Yeah. Yeah, they set it up so well. And I wonder if, I mean, they make some changes, but I wonder if they were reluctant to make such a big change as to deviate and give her a name. But I, it feels like it's a missing piece. Right. Or they should have given her a different name when she started and then named her Victoria at the end yeah. of the movie, potentially. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, all the cats are supposed to have three names. Also, Victoria is such a regular name compared to everyone else. All the other Jellicle cats. I so, know. like, it makes sense that it would be her human given name, but not her Jellicle name. Yes. But then again, we never get a Jellicle name, so. Right, which I just always anticipated because, like, old Deuteronomy tells her, like, you can be a Jellicle. Like, we are welcoming you into our community. And the whole preface of the show is like the naming of cats like that's the whole beginning is like here's this whole process where cats have three names the name the humans call them their actual name and then a name you will never ever know that's only they know and i'm like okay so if the humans called victoria victoria like what would her jellicle name be now that she's officially a jellicle cat i want to come up with one but like to be able to inhabit the mind that takes regular words and then brings you like skimble shanks and like jenny annie does i feel like they all take wild left turns right in the middle of where you think the word is going to go that i I couldn't come up with something like i mean clearly victoria needs to be the one to name herself yeah true sequel sequel god please give us a sequel we deserve it Angela Weber should write one first and then we can adapt that. Yes. (laughs) would he do it i mean maybe if cats made a lot more money We, we need to make sure that cats makes all its money back yes rent it on itunes yes please everyone yeah all right well i feel so much more edified about the musical version of this show and andrew lloyd weber and just like seeing this uh (laughs) incredible film in new ways oh thank you so much for being on thank you for having us yeah no it was a pleasure would you like folks to follow you anywhere on twitter otherwise yeah, um, I'm at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. That's also my Instagram handle. And I, you know, post the things that I write there. I'm working on a portfolio at the moment, so I'll be sharing that soon. Um, but yeah, you can go ahead and find me on there where I tweet about anything from politics to movies and books and cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm at Dana Bramble 3 on Twitter and Instagram. You can see my Mistopheles Bound on Insta. Um, and yeah, my Twitter is full of random thoughts about television, mostly, and cats. Awesome. Well, thank you. And Toast thanks you. And <laughs> if I eventually want to watch more Andrew Lloyd Webber, we can talk again. 
uh, please. Totally. We will always be more than happy to. We own the 25th anniversary Phantom of the Opera Royal Albert Hall performance. More than happy to watch it with you. Yes. Cool. And I mean, at one point, we'll probably buy Love Never Dies because it's trash, but it's addictive trash. And so we can do like a double feature of Phantom and Love Never Dies with you. Yeah, the way you talked about it feels as essential as Cats if you're a Phantom fan. You need to see Love Never Dies. You need to. It is bananas. Awesome. It was such a pleasure to talk with Anya and Dana, and I need to take them up on their offer to co-watch Phantom and Love Never Dies. Please follow them both on Twitter. Now, it's been a while, so I'm not sure if I remember how to do this next part. It's something about a decision... No, like a pick? Someone's crowned something. Cat fancy feline of the year. No. No, it's the Jolical Choice! Each episode, I highlight a magical, captivating, charming cat creature and talk to their person. And today, I am speaking with Tawny, whose cat Gambino went viral last December on TikTok. Tawny was taking a video of her two cats, Tom Petty, who is a black and white tuxedo cat, and Gambino, a little orange boy. And when she followed Gambino around a corner, he meowed what sounded like a little southern gentleman saying, well, hi. Did you catch that? Okay, before you listen to the interview, I suggest Googling cat well hi and watch the video so you have the fullest impression of Gambino. Okay, now that you've Googled it, uh, the audio quality of my call with Tawny is a little rough, but I think it's understandable. Hello, thanks for making time to talk. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, this is just really exciting because I remember seeing on Twitter when Gambino went viral on this little southern gentleman cat, (laughs) at least the way he sounded, was just... I remember the camera like goes around maybe your living room or kitchen and then just a little orange mm-hmm. cat saying like, well, hi. Yeah, he was, um, he had just gotten a robotic vacuum and he had been chasing around all day. So that was actually what I was trying to record. And I kind of came around the corner and I startled him. So he was a little <laughs> scared when he made that meow. Well, he was very polite about it. Yes. I do get a lot of people ask, oh, can you make him do it again? I'm like, well, you know, I scared him. So <laughs> I, I don't really want to scare him again to make him do that. Yeah. What kind of cat is he? He looks like a short-haired orange cat. I don't know if you know his breed or anything like that. He's just a regular old orange tabby, uh, American short hair. He just kind of showed up on our door, back Aww. door one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took him to the vet um, to see if he was chipped or anything like that and they kind of aged him around that time, which was, I think, 2015 at about five years old. So we don't know much about him. We just kind of guess he's just a regular old orange tabby. Oh, well, that's really sweet that he showed up on your doorstep and you adopted him. Mm-hmm. We, I had that happen when I was a kid with a gray tabby who just started mm-hmm. showing up. And then he decided he liked the look of us. So we're like, well, we'll, we'll keep you then. And you have a second cat too, Tom, right? Yep. Oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Tom. He um, kind of showed up the same way when we moved into our new house. When we lived in Florida, our neighbors were taking care of a 
pregnant mom cat and um, helped her have her litter safely. And they had found homes for four out of the six kittens that she had. And um, when we moved in, because, you know, we already had our cat and wanted to help out and they weren't really cat people. So we told them that we would take over the care and try to find them homes. And um, we just ended up with them. And the mom cat eventually moved on once we got her spade. <laughs> she mm-hmm. just kind of decided she didn't want to be with us. And All right. she moved on. Yeah. And then we just have Tom. We've had him since he was born. Oh. And he's, uh, I guess, what they would call a tuxedo cat. Kind of got like the, the white in front, mostly black. Yeah, he's a tuxedo. His mom was Manx. She had no tail. Wow. We don't know what his dad was, but he's at least half Manx. There's actually, I think, different types of Manx cats. And he got whatever genetic trait that makes everything a little actually more elongated. So he actually has very long limbs and a very, very long tail. His whiskers Mm -hmm. are long, his legs. We know for sure he's Manx, but we don't know the other half. Gotcha. And how do the two of them get along? Good. You know, they're brothers, so they like to play fight a lot, wrestle and eat each other's food. But (laughs) they do keep to themselves. Usually, you know, they have their own bed and one will be in one room and one will stay in the other. They're not super close, but when it's needed, they get cold, will cuddle up and be really sweet to each other. They get along pretty well. Oh, that's good. What are their personalities like? Are they similar? I think maybe because he's younger, Tom is definitely a lot more rambunctious. He loves to, you know, play with us. He loves to play with toys. He loves to kind of be in your business. You know, like right now, I'm doing a lot of sewing projects in my off time, and he loves to be in that business And when I'm trying to cut fabric, so I have to constantly take him down <laughs> so he doesn't get hurt. But um, he loves his people, both me and my husband, a lot. I think probably because we've had him since he was a kitten. Mm. And Gambino's a lot more laid back. He's very attached to me. So he's definitely my cat. And uh, he's he's not as rambunctious as Tom. He's a little more a little more mellow, a little more he just wants to hang out with you. You know, if you're taking a nap, he's taking a nap. If you're watching TV, he's right there. I just want to hang out. I don't need to play. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. My cat has become more like that. He's only two now. I got him a year ago, but he's less interested in playing now. And oh, actually, let me see if I can angle my computer. He's, he's doing uh, yeah, he's over there. Yeah, doing some washing. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice when they want to just hang out, have somebody yeah. close. Yeah, Tom's getting closer to that. He's young. He's about five now, and Gambino would be about eight. So, this little difference in age. Do they have any quirks or particular habits? Tom, he loves hair ties, so they have to be kept off the ground or he'll take them and he doesn't eat them, but he chews them enough to they break and then he <laughs> just leaves them there. He's definitely the more curious one. Uh, Gambino, that one little meow is pretty famous, but he actually doesn't have a regular meow. So... Tom has a very distinct meow, mm-hmm. you know, when he's talking to you. But Gambino just kind of does this long yell. Okay. 
So, you know, he'll say, good morning, Gambino. He's like, ah, <laughs> he just <laughs> yells. I've never heard him just do a regular meow. <laughs> so that little silly meow that got him so famous, that's just one of the many uh, little noises that he makes. He never doesn't ever do a regular meow. <laughs> He's he's vocal, but in different kinds of ways. Yeah, well, definitely lots of yells and squeaks. <laughs> but um, as far as quirks, he's just so mellow. He does like catnip. He's the one that actually reacts to it. We kind of keep that away from him <laughs> unless we want him to have some. But he will definitely try to find some if he can. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess my last question is, what do you like most about your cats? I would say that at the end of the night, they definitely like to cuddle up, which I really like because during the day, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing and, you know, doing whatever it is they want to do. But then at the night, they're right there with me and I work kind of odd hours. So it's kind of nice that, you know, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. when I come home, they're right there, you know, so they they hear my car coming down the road and they're just so excited. So it's nice, you know, when you come home at odd hours, everyone else is asleep. They're right there to greet me. So it makes me feel welcome. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like cats sometimes have like, they don't have the same reputation that dogs do. We're like, that's a known dog behavior. We're like a dog will just wait till you get home. But cats can do that too. They want to see you. They want to check in with you, know how you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, they'll sit in the window and meow. And I'm just Aww. like, you know, I feel so sad when I have to leave them. But they're always so excited when I get home. I do definitely think that we raised them kind of like dogs. So they have mm-hmm. a couple different traits. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Mine is a rag doll, which I'd never had before. And he's got, based on my reading about the breed, some dog kind of tendencies, like follows you around a lot and very like vocal and also like there at the door and yeah it's not not bad yeah they definitely you know we've taught them their names so they respond to their names so if we call one you know if i call for tom he's the one that's showing up that's important yeah yeah <laughs> can't just call them whatever and they show up so you have to say in a certain tone kind of like you do with dogs too but mm-hmm. they're definitely very dog-like oh wow they're so long those whiskers are amazing <laughs> <laughs> my goodness oh tom's upstairs can't be bothered mm. tom's definitely the more photogenic one and the more willing to <laughs> be bothered so <laughs> on his instagram people want to be in those pictures and videos of him but it's really tom that is more patient with me mm-hmm Well, they're both very beautiful, and I recommend everyone go and check them out on Instagram. I have gotten lots of good moments, just them popping up in the feed and seeing them in all sorts of comfy positions. Just looking very beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for talking about your cats. Of course. Thanks for having me on and let me talk about them. You can see photos of Gambino and Tom Petty on our Twitter and Instagram at ineffablecats. And of course, follow these two cats on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Gambino911. Those links are in our show notes. If you'd like to chat with me about your cat on the show, and if you liked what you heard today, please tweet about the show, tagging us, and include a picture of your cat. Also, if you like the show, please subscribe. And leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, where Toast would like to know... What you're excited for this fall? (coughs) Toast says our original music is by Jeremy Nisato and our show art is by Tyler Donnelly. 
Toast, do you want to tell the people that you weren't really gone? Yeah, it was a bit. You're right, no, you would not need rescuing. You'd take them all out. But the song about you is real. Do you want to hear it? All right, playing us out is My Morning Toast by Austin Rogers. Thank you so much to Austin for this song. See you next time.